renunciation. I can think of no more fitting topic to speak about in a monastery. On the Uposita, this is the new moon of the cold season. And we've just finished Avasa at Satisaraniya Hermitage. And that's been a tremendous situation for practicing renunciation. Coming here, it's so lovely to see it on a larger scale. Um, and to see how the conditions of taking precepts, keeping silence a lot, meditating, serving, and practicing a lot of loving kindness and sensitivity to each other create such a harmonious community. Perhaps it's not only the size of the community here that's different, but also the situation so far away from the maddening crowd. But then when we sit down on the cushion, the madness is there. So it takes a lot of patience and renunciation to be able to sit and be with our own minds exactly as they are, moment by moment, patiently working. Renunciation is not a popular practice in the world, is it? Uh, I was astonished at how Vancouver has changed. I was there about 27 years ago and it was a lot smaller, a lot quieter. So I was amazed at the rush. But this is how the world seems to be going. It's rushing more towards getting spending, doing, and creating, producing, acquiring, interacting, so many things that desiring, fulfilling desire, fulfilling what we think we need to be happy. And then coming here, of course, it's the exact opposite. It's the letting go, the relinquishing, the abandoning, the simplifying, the practice of contentment, of non-acquisition, of not harboring and not accumulating things for oneself. And uh, even the whole monastery resonates with simplicity and a profound beauty in that. I was taken up into the attic and shown the excess of certain artifacts like books and a few clothing artifacts and perhaps things that had been donated that in the shifting sands of, of rearranging to better simplify the monastery, some things get put in the attic. How do we find the balance? Even when we simplify and try to practice contentment, we still find ways to acquire more. There are even extra Buddha rupas there. 
the acquisition of things and the renunciation of things is not all there is to this perfection of renunciation. It's not just by simplifying our external environment. That's one way for sure. That certainly stops the world on the outside. The houses are getting bigger, the shops are open, longer hours, everything to satisfy, to feed the hungry ghosts of the human realm. Those hungry ghosts are not only on the outside, they're they're not only other people. Each of us has that tendency to satisfy what we think we need. When I first went to live in the community in England, I brought only what I could carry on my back. And it wasn't very heavy. I had a very nice, brand new pair of boots that my father had bought me. They stood out because I was wearing pink robes and these boots were brown. When I arrived in the monastery and I spent a bit of time there, one of the monks poked fun at my boots. And I became very self-conscious about these boots. I decided they were too fancy and I, I would somehow try to make them less conspicuous. They were a little bit high, so I cut the top off the boots, trying to make them look less conspicuous. It was actually because I didn't want to be teased. I also thought it would help to blend in these brown things with my pink robes. I think it was actually the pink robes that needed changing of the boots. That happened. (laughs) I gave up my pink robes. So I cut the tops off, and then they looked ridiculous. So I still got teased about my boots. Then finally, I ended up joining the community and wearing brown. When you come into the community, even though you give up so many things physically, it's not the physical things that are hard to give up. It's our opinions and our attachments, isn't it? We have this desire to look a certain way and for people to think of us a certain way. And we do still spend a lot of time, we invest a lot of energy in that. Wherever you live, whether it's in the monastery or the city, it's very easy to get caught up, no matter how simple you think you're going to live, then you can get attached to the idea of living simply. How simple can it get? I'm not going to use a mattress. I'll just sleep on the floor and I'll only have one change of clothes. Shaving the head now has become quite popular. It's become a fashion. Even when we become ordained and we wear the robe, From the outside, people think that's really a big renunciation. But then you want your robes to look a certain way if the color isn't a certain way. See how hard it is, even when you go to the extent of shaving your head and wearing a robe, how hard it is to give up the wish 
to appear a certain way, to present an image. Even if we believe in the heart of our hearts that that's not what we're doing. In fact, it takes a deeper level of renunciation to give up that. We have to look neat and we shouldn't have too many patches. That's part of one of our allowances is that once there are ten patches, we can ask for a new robe. We can ask for cloth. There are very few times when we can ask to replace a robe. Nevertheless, we begin to get attached to our requisites, to our sitting cushion, to our walking path. It's not enough to give up things. We have to really look more deeply to perfect renunciation. And on the level of thinking, that's where the real renunciation begins. If we can be aware, even if we don't have empty rooms, empty cupboards, and we don't shave our heads, and we don't wear robes, but we live a very pure life. We live a life that's based on ethical and moral uprightness. There are three kinds of thoughts that are considered to be the thoughts of a great being, of of a wise being. And that's the converse of the three types of thought we should give up. Thoughts of sense desire. Because sense desire takes us right back to the city. Then to keep the mind centered in one place and not to allow it to wander around. You could travel to India while you're sitting in the shrine room here in Birkin. We have to give up those thoughts. We have to cultivate renunciation of mind, of giving up. We cannot control the mind, but when we're practicing right effort, every time we have thoughts that take us away from focusing on the breath, then we are able to practice renunciation of sense-desire. The second kind of thoughts are thoughts of ill-will. As soon as a thought comes into your mind of somebody you don't like, then it's very important to bring up the sign of loving-kindness in the heart. A very skillful way of using right effort letting go, sweeping out, emptying the heart of the things that bring us back to samsara, to the world, to having and doing and being and becoming and identifying with and getting attached to in the old ways that keep us bound and enslaved in wanting and being unable to fulfill that wanting because it's unfulfillable in the end. No matter how many good tastes, good sounds, good smells, beautiful walks in the Birkin forest we have, we can never get enough to satisfy the wanting mind. The same is true with thoughts of ill will. Those thoughts also, no matter how much we go over the things that we don't like and 
dwell in memories of what we want. It's the same kind of thing. We have to sweep those out because they poison us. Even though we might think like psychology now promotes figuring out what kind of trauma you had and going over and analyzing it. And but those negative thoughts have to be swept out. We have to abandon them. This is what the dictionary definition of renunciation is. It's to abandon. Abandoning doesn't mean once. It means continuously. Just like we have to be very, very mindful when desire is in the mind. We have to be very, very mindful when negativity is there. That means cultivating thoughts of renunciation or an attitude of renunciation or an intention of renunciation. That's samasankapa, very important. Then the second one is cultivating loving-kindness, compassion. And the third one is harmlessness. This is where our morality and our commitment to sila takes on a particular refinement. It's bringing up our commitment to wholesomeness in right effort. Sila is not just using right speech, right action, but it's using right thought. Renunciation at the level of cultivating harmlessness in your mind, truly not harming ourselves. What's the greatest compassion, the greatest generosity? It's having an empty mind, purifying the mind, emptying ourselves. Why do we empty ourselves? This is the highest renunciation, is emptying ourselves of all thought. What happens when we empty the mind of all thought? That's where we can hold the samadhi, when the mind becomes so stable that there isn't activity. What are we doing when we're thinking? We're creating a self. Every thought that comes through the mind is a manifestation of the self re-arising. Even when we've been able to have this right effort, purifying the desire, purifying the ill will of the negativity, and coming to a place of complete harmlessness, we still don't want to be doing that from ego. I'm a harmless person here. The highest renunciation is selfless. No shaving head. You shave your head, you still can be full of vanity and the self-view. The real proof of how empty we are of self is how silent the mind is. You could have your room crammed full of things and your mind could be quite empty. However, this this form, the, the monastic form, the renunciant form, as you can see, is a tremendous upaya. It's a skillful means. When I went to Taiwan to uh, take this training as a bhikkhuni, I'd been a nun for over 20 years. 
the nuns there, I was Theravadan. So the Mahayana is somehow, they have more precepts and they were having a ceremony and they didn't include me and I felt left out. You see how self gets created? But they had this cute little pouch and I was curious. So I asked one of the nuns, what is that? And she said, it's got nothing to do with you. You're not even a a novice. When someone speaks to you in a way that is sharp or feels a little abrupt or maybe unkind, that's no reason for us to feel ill will towards them. But I felt like I was the ambassador for all Theravada nuns. And we shouldn't be treated like this. This is unjust. It's wrong. But then as soon as I saw those thoughts coming up in my mind, I saw, oh, this is big dukkha here. It was a very big teaching for me right there. This training that we were taking on was very intense. You never had any privacy. We were constantly together. And the only time you had a moment alone was in the bathroom and the shower. Otherwise, we were constantly together. At that time, the only way that I could really work through this little hiccup with this nun was I just kept renouncing my reaction in my heart that it doesn't matter. This is very good for me. I started to appreciate what a good teaching I'm getting. Instead of resenting it, I began to feel that I was benefiting and that I could feel grateful to her for showing me that it it didn't matter how many years I was in the row, if I couldn't renounce angry thoughts towards her just because she spoke to me as if their practice was better than my training. And she'd only been a nun for two years. I could see how easy it would be to judge that. But the peace of looking at her as what a great teaching she's giving me. What an incredible practice. After all these years, I'm still trying to compare. And then I saw that it meant nothing. Very often I was tested. Many moments came when I didn't know if I would qualify for the training. At one point they asked, I had read the bhikkhuni rules. Apparently, if you read the rules, you're not eligible to take the ordination. I thought that's very unfair because we studied the rules for the last 20 years. seemed like I was more prepared than anyone. So many ways the ego can find a little platform, a little scaffolding to sit down on. That was so dangerous to think like that. And the um, nun in in charge of our group went and asked the permission of the abbot. I had already given up. I was packing my bag and getting ready to leave. She came to me and said, the abbot said that you didn't understand what you read, so it was okay. And I thought that was so compassionate. My ego said, of course I understood. You see how it always slips in? How do we abide in emptiness in the world when we're interacting with people that seem to be so mean and so disrespectful? 
it wasn't that she was being mean. She was just telling me, you're just a novice. Why do you want to know things that don't concern you? The kilesa or the defilement was not in her mind, it was in mine. And the thought that I know what this is all about, even the abbot had the, the humility and the compassion to allow this foreign nun to take this training. But I realized that the training that I was getting in all these little incidents of being put down and made low, and I don't mean physically. Of course, we were sleeping on a hard floor. We, it was cold. The schedule was grueling. The standing on our feet for hours and hours and a lot of bowing and my body wasn't up to it. There was so much renunciation. I began to see that it was only through renunciation, profound renunciation at a level I never imagined, that I was ever going to qualify for this training, for this experience. Experience is the name that we give to our mistakes, Oscar Wilde said. In this case, I had the mirror of my mind constantly reflected back to me by these very patient and very sweet nuns. They would walk fast and I'd be trying to walk slowly because I was trying to be mindful. But they were walking quickly. And, and they were young and they were full of energy. There was, even the old one was walking very quickly. And here I was trying to think, Sati Sampajanya, you have to be mindful and wise. But to be mindful and wise, you have to give up your ideas about what's mindful and wise and study the context. When you're in a place where people are moving fast, you don't try to impose your own practice on them. To be mindful and wise is to walk slowly. So they would push me. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> okay. I, I think the whole experience, some people would say, was totally humiliating. But in that humiliation, on my knees, I began to understand the gratitude for what they were teaching me at every level. It's not Theravada, it's not Mahayana. It's just emptying the self-view and having to be ground down to the extent where at one time I was collapsed in a heap and feeling so unqualified, not good enough. Talk about self-rearising. And one of the leaders went to see why there, there was somebody sitting in that dark room and she came saw, found me there she spoke a little English and she said oh sister are you alright and she saw the big tears coming down I was exhausted and felt completely unqualified for, for this whole thing and I thought time to pack it in she said oh no no you cannot go you have to stay everybody is ready everyone Everyone. Such compassion and kindness. There's only gratitude and renunciation. Those are the two things that help me to continue to, and they still do. 
as Brother David Steindl-Ross so beautifully said, it's not happiness that makes us grateful, but it's gratitude that makes us happy. Thoughts of gratitude, very, very important. If we can't be silent, if we find ourselves suffering, if we find the ego bringing us to our knees, but not in a healthy way, then just think, this suffering, this moment is teaching me something, and bring up the thought of gratitude. That thought of gratitude is where we become generous. Generosity is the beginning of sila. I'm not talking about sila of speech and action, I'm talking about the inner speech, the inner action, which is invisible to anyone else. But it's visible to me, to you. When you notice that you're getting ground down by someone, the ego is going to say, oh, you're getting ground down, no good, no good. But that's a good thing. You can feel gratitude that the ego is being ground down. It's wonderful. It's a teaching. And if somebody is criticizing you, or saying something nice, you can just be aware. Don't take it personally. Don't bite it either way. It's how to keep the mind empty enough that the silence can rush in. That in the silence, truth abides and the real purification happens. But it's a burning. It's unpleasant. It's the pain that takes the poison out. If we can always keep in our mind that the pains that we received that make us burn can purify us, depending on how we receive it, and that there are gifts, these are gifts waiting it's, it's the burning, it burnishes us. If you can think of a pot, a pot that gets put into a hot oven to be fired. Community life is like, it is, it's like a crucible. And I've been through the fire many times. But I feel so grateful that I had to go through another burning, another level of firing so that I could receive another level of gift. You asked about the Bodhisattva. That's when I realized why this particular step was a preparation for selflessness. It's so easy, even as a a nun, I'd never ever considered that I would disrobe and, and then ordain again, so that I could start at the beginning But how useful it is to start like a baby, like a no one. Because when you're a no one, you're a nothing. You've got nothing to prop up. You've got no, no stripes to show off. Not that you want to, but the ego is a very slippery thing. But when you go through the fire, then you come out of the fire and you think, I've been through the fire. The ego makes something of it. Then if you've been through the fire for 10 years, you think, I've been through the fire for 10 years now. That thought is another 
the ego finds a landing strip. We have to burn every landing strip so that the ego in its Boeing 747, it gets bigger and bigger. The higher, the closer we get to what we think is the mountaintop, the harder it gets, the more intense the fire gets. I had all the stripes taken off and I didn't realize when I went forth again that that's what was going to happen. And that taught me that it's only about emptying constantly. This takes a humility that begins with humiliation. It's a generosity to the not-self. We have to be brave. We have to be patient. But there's a lot of joy in it. There's a, a word that they use in Chinese to describe this process of going through this ordination. It's called ascending the altar. And what it means to me is, can you imagine if you were to ascend the altar, it's almost like climbing into the lap of the Buddha. It's like getting up on the shrine. What do we need to do to be worthy of that? How can we climb up on the altar? Take out all the furniture. Take everything out of the mind, everything out of the heart, so that the only thing that's left is a hopelessness. It's not the hope for anything anymore. It's not a negative hopelessness. It's a hopelessness that leaves us empty. It's also a fearlessness. So that we're not afraid anymore. We're neither hoping nor fearing. It's just those are the two sides of the same thing. We're also, we have to be fearless. That's another aspect of samasankapa, right intention, is this abhaya sankapa a fearlessness, but also a hopelessness, so that you're just empty and the silence rushes in. That silence is complete sila. The perfection of renunciation is the perfection of sila. The perfection of sila is the perfection of samadhi. The perfection of samadhi is the perfection of wisdom. The perfection of wisdom is the perfection of compassion. The perfection of compassion is complete liberation for all beings. It's unconditional love. We all have that holy spark in us. When we come together in holy community, yeah, holy communion, it's a community that's united in the aspiration to ascend the altar and sit with the Buddha. It's not something that we can't do, but we have to be willing to burn in the flames. And that's hard. That's hard. So you can give up the world. You can become a monk or a nun. It's not enough. You have to give up the desire to be anything at all. To be better or worse or equal to. 
to give up comparison this kind of giving up of reconstructing the ego moment by moment is the greatest generosity we can give to ourselves one step at a time pull that cushion out and sit with yourself with your non-self with your mind no matter what bring up a quality of loving kindness compassion patience giving up giving up thought by thought moment by moment and step by step one day your mind will be so silent and so pure what happens from a silent mind when we bring that level of generosity to ourselves then we can share it as Ajahn Chah said if you practice a little bit you get a little peace if you practice a lot you get a lot of peace if you practice completely you get complete peace wear the robe of your heart let it shine but don't feel that just by shaving your head you'd be a good person mainly practice kindness and do the best that you can in whatever you do with your family members with your community colleagues and prepare yourself to die the real relinquishment is to give up unwholesomeness to give up wrong ways of thinking wrong ways of doing wrong ways of speaking when you give up one thing you make space for truth when you sweep the floor of the shrine room then the meditators come so when you sweep out the unhealthy things in the heart then godliness the dhamma rushes in the buddha comes and sits in your heart the whole sangha will come and sit in your heart from sariputta right down to ajahn sona I offer this for your reflection tonight.